Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Trailer Rewind, a monthly conversation about movies you may have missed in theaters that are now available to watch at home on streaming services. Every month, we dig into the archives and watch a film that was one of the trailer picks on a Saturday matinee episode. 
You can get access to the Sat Matt shows at patreon.com slash the next reel. It's a great way to get an overview of everything we do here at the next reel. Who is it? No ID, no idea. I know your whole story. Placing our agent undercover. She'll look right enough next to our guy. If we do this, we accept the consequences. Do you love me? You know I do. JJ, today we're talking about Destroyer. Destroyer! (laughs) 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 This was actually my pick from October 20th, 2018. Wait a minute, is this your first pick? No, this is your second, right? Yeah, this is where, you know, my, where I get to seed things into the sat, Matt, and I will fully admit, those are (laughs) things where I'm like, JJ and I are going to want to talk about this. That's why I'm picking this trailer, because I can't wait to talk about this one. What was the other one? It was just recent. We're just like now caught up so we can use your seeds. Your seeds have now become the trailer rewind. Was You're it? sowing the seeds of Steve. I, I would it. have to. I'd have to dig back in. Maybe yeah. it was. Maybe it was Jonathan. I can't, could be. I can't oh, that might be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might no. be it. Or was, okay. or was it? Or was it hostiles? I don't. I don't. I sure hope hostiles. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay. So this one is yours. This so is my pick. Yeah. How did you? So this, how did you come across it? So, okay, so that was October. Today's August 13th, and I watched this on Hulu. So right now, as of August 13th, this is available streaming on Hulu. I rented it on Vudu, so it's also available in those paid channels as well. Yes, but I like to tell people where to get it for free. Well, Hulu's not really free. It's (laughs) subscription-based. So you you just auto-pay, and then it's like it's free because you don't actually see the money (laughs) leaving your account. It's very um, irresponsible to yeah. tell listeners. <laughs> you don't. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. It doesn't exist. That's right. But yeah. Just it's the there it goes. Uh, so the, what's interesting about this one is Destroyer was released into theaters on December twenty fifth, twenty eighteen. This on is Christmas? not like a, on Christmas. Yes, but it was that limited release on three screens. This is the oh. let's get it in theaters at the end of the year. So of course it's eligible for awards. Oh my so gosh! It, I want to know what three screens it was. <laughs> Well, anyway. probably two in L.A. and probably one in New York, typically. Yeah, that That's right. usually how it goes. And then it slowly expanded, but it was only up to 235 screens in February. That was okay. the maximum exposure on this was 235 screens, not Super a lot. Yep. And then it left theaters in March, and it had only made $1.5 million domestically and another two internationally. And I think a lot of that was Australia. Okay. Nicole Nicole Kidman, of course, will right. always be a box office draw in Australia. Yeah. And then I would think hit, she is here too. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. So it hit digital streaming services on April 9th and then Blu-ray and DVD two weeks later. And it was this was really promoted as an Oscar vehicle for Nicole Kidman. It just didn't make that connection with audiences. Oh man, you know, I watched the trailer before this and it was yeah. all, like literally every quote was Nicole Kidman is this. Nicole yes. Kidman is that. This is Nicole Kidman's greatest thing. It didn't talk about anything else but Nicole Kidman. No. This was, it's like they made this movie as the, Oscar Tron uh, for Nicole Yes. Kidman. Oh, exactly. But back in that December, that fall, we also had Nicole Kidman in Aquaman and Nicole yeah. Kidman in, oh, the other one uh, where the she's the one. mom. 
with uh, Lucas Hedges, and she's know. the mom, Boy Erased, where oh, he's the he's yeah. he's the son of like the Baptist minister, and he's you know he comes out as gay, and like that, he goes yeah. to the yeah Heavy gay therapy drama. camp. Yeah, so I don't know if that was the Nicole Kidman people wanted. Like, oh yeah, there's the fun Nicole Kidman in Aquaman, or the traditional you know it's Nicole Kidman as as mom that we that's something we're more interested in versus Nicole Kidman in gritty cop drama with you know really sort of transformative makeup on her and and not the Nicole Kidman we're used to seeing and maybe or that's, intense mom drama I wonder yeah. if her team just sent like a four-year consideration ad and then just included all three they're like she can do it all <laughs> she can right? do it all don't yes. pick one just just nominate her <laughs> is what they yeah. were doing I don't know I, I think that may have been the case but yeah. this one this one got lost in the shuffle somewhere totally yeah so this trailer Back in October, yeah. Um, I, I I always go back and listen to that Saturday matinee episode to look at what we were saying about the trailer. So cool. what's hilarious about this sat mat from October 20th, it took us a good, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes to get into things because Pete and I had a great conversation. I don't know where Andy was, but Pete and <laughs> okay. I had a great conversation about a lot of fun things. We talked about the... Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show home indoctrination kit that I was putting it together last fall. Wait, uh, we uh, <laughs> is that a way to show up so you can show up and you don't have to say you're a virgin? You can no, do it at home well, and then well, you don't have to get hazed when you actually go because that I, could actually get me to see that movie. <laughs> I'm terrified well, of the hazing. So what is that what you're talking about? Because that sounds uh, amazing. You're going to have to go back to that episode and find out a little bit All more. Right. And we also that. talked about a really entertaining Twitter thread that actually was turned into a movie. Cool. Because, you know, so there's some really interesting discussions that I had completely forgotten about from last fall. So it was a nice trip down memory lane. Nice. Uh, but by the time we got to talking about the trailer, the thing that I really focused on was this cast. Because yeah. in, in addition to Cole Kidman, you've got Bradley Whitford, you've got Sebastian Stan. And for sure. those, you know, fans of Orphan Black, if you've seen that, you've got Tatiana Maslany uh, okay. as well. Is that and, Shelby? And, is that the kid? No, no, not Shelby. That is... I'm horrible oh. with names. The uh, the Petra. other get Petra. There we go. Yeah, yes, yeah. that that's yeah. Petra. Yes, that and then of sense. course we we talked about the sort of physical transformation of Nicole Kidman. But the other piece that intrigued me was that director Karen Kusama had just directed The Invitation back in 2015, which is a film okay. I know you will never see. Right, uh, but it was about it. she had she had done a few movies i think one of her first ones was back in the 90s girl fight with michelle rodriguez but then she, yeah. she did a couple of things and then did aeon flux with Charlize theron and then stopped doing film and was on tv for about a decade doing all kinds of great shows and tvs the invitation was her return to the big screen and seeing what uh how much i enjoyed that film and just the tension i was really looking forward to seeing what she could do with more of a, a cop undercover crime drama. So that's what really drew me to this trailer to start us off. That makes sense. And you would think that with all that, and especially with what they're doing with this one, that it would definitely attract people. That's 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 what the thought was. So sure. that that's why I was really hyped about this trailer. And now looking back at it, um, yeah, it, it's still, well, we'll, we'll get into that about oh, yeah. what the I, expectations were. I'm excited to were. talk about it because yeah. I think it's, I yeah. see some swings. I don't mm-hmm. know if there 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 may be some some hits and some misses in this one okay. to talk about. So that's good.
JJ, we usually wait until the end to talk about where a film lands on our flick chart. Yeah. But I'm going to cheat a little bit today, and I'm going to tell you that right, for me, it's right next to Black Klansman on my list. And you're probably okay. thinking, why am I telling you this now? Well, because right after we're done recording, you could head straight over to Audible and download Black Klansman, read by author Ron Stallworth. He was the first black detective in the history of Colorado Springs Police Department. It was made in that Spike Lee film. Nice. It's nearly six hours of true undercover drama. And our listeners out there can try out Audible at audibletrial.com slash the next reel. It's really quick and easy to sign up. You can download Black Klansman and keep it or another book that you've been wanting to read. You can cancel if you don't like it, but I really think you're going to enjoy it. Black Klansman, great, true crime drama story. Reminded me of Destroyer. Thinking huh. about how much I, you know, that whole behind the scenes procedural piece yeah. of drama. Given that this is hyped as this whole Oscar, I hate to say Oscar bait, but yeah. that's, you know, when you when you sort of release this type of movie on a certain date with, you know, that type of release schedule in three theaters on Christmas Day, everybody knows you're, you're positioning for Oscar nominations. Do you have any opinions on why it fell short? Why it didn't live up to that hype? Is it an uneven film? What, what were your, your general reaction to this one? Well, there's so much. And I think, you know, I think Oscar bait is, is fair because that's kind of what they're, that's the idea that they're circling around with all this promotion and whatnot. But yeah, I think when you watch this movie, you feel like it's more of an Oscar appetizer. Um, and, you, you know, knowing what you've talked about here, learning about the fact that they released it on Christmas Day, it really seems like a miss when you think about the content. I mean, I understand that big movies come out on Christmas Day. I understand the idea that they're trying to prep for the Oscars and get it out before the year ends. But it's the content is heavy. I mean, it's super intense and it's dramatic and there's a lot there. The, all the promotion about Nicole Kidman is is potentially valid. She does some really heavy lifting in this movie. Um, and I don't have a too positive or too negative opinion about Nicole Kidman. So I get to watch it somewhat objectively in that respect. Um, and she does some great stuff. It's really interesting to see a lot of it. Um, and then there's a lot of creative camera work. There's a lot of interesting direction. I like the way the story is told um, in a very surprising way uh, when we get into some of the what we want to spoil about this movie. But in general, it just feels really kind of heavy. And it, until you get to the turns of the story, it just feels a lot just intense, intense drama without a whole lot of um, interesting lead up. Um, the whole movie is this one intense negative pace and that's really hard to be released on christmas day um i i was shocked to hear that so uh, again i was happy with some of the creativity and the art that was shown in terms of filmmaking with this i think it's an intense and it's a dramatic story i understand why people would think that this would be an oscar worthy performance but i don't it's such a heavy movie and we've we've watched some heavy ones as a part of trailer rewind it goes into that category for me it follows along the lines of something like uh hostiles or something along the line of um of lean on pete where you're just going to be beset by negativity throughout this movie so you have to really enjoy tragedy or drama to get into this movie 
See, I brought you back after the summer hiatus. Something, something uplifting, right? We can only go up from here. You know, if, if we start with this is our baseline for the second half of the year, we can only go up from here. And I, I, I agree. It. it is, it, I, I don't want to say it pummels you, but it no. is, it is really heavy. Yeah. Uh, the, the story and just from the trailers, you see that the character that that Nicole's playing Aaron she is a you know aged weathered person beaten up by life so we she know this is not like going to be a zombie she really <laughs> she, she looks like a zombie and i understand the transformation and whatnot and why they're trying to do that but i literally i mean it was so the makeup job on her was so thick and crusty gosh i don't even like that i'm using those adjectives i it was <laughs> it was distracting in that I was like, is is, is she undead? Is there? <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, and uh, quite possibly that's what they were trying to get across. But for me, it was hard to watch because she was so intensely weathered. There, I did find in my research uh, a, a short, it's like about a minute and a half behind the scenes talking about the makeup. But I can uh, include yeah. that in the show notes. And they talk about what they did to you know sort of create that look and the, the decisions they made to to create that that weathered look about just little piece little bits of latex here and there and so it's not so much that it's it's heavy i think it's they they pulled some things so that her skin as she's talking it would just sort of pull and wrinkle in just the right way to to give that sense of well-worn weathered and uh, the the director Karen Kusama said she wanted you know Aaron is a person who has been living out there in the California sun for a long time and not taking care of herself. And because we have these two time frames in the movie, they, they talk about how they set up, you know, the young Nicole Kidman in our in our flashbacks and they gave her some some freckles that as she then ages, almost look like sort of like precancerous just from being out in the sun so much that she's got this, you know, it, it makes her look unhealthy. Uh, whereas yep. you've got the young, fresh face, freckled Nicole Kidman, you know, years you know later, we see how this has taken its toll. And that was the, the general look and feel of what they were going for. And I think that they succeeded in that. It's not too. what you normally accept expect with with nicole kidman uh no when we when we see her in the flashbacks uh, you're like oh yeah that's nicole kidman i i remember who's this old lady that's playing her in, in the rest of the movie uh yeah it's uh interesting uh transformation so if we if we we start talking about the story a little bit here so we've got you know as i mentioned these flashbacks and our, our main situation is we've got aaron and we've got her in our our current timeline where she is clearly sort of lived life hard. Something's happened in her past. We open um, with her waking up in the car. And that's something that I noticed throughout is a lot of scenes or sequences will start with her waking up in a car or it just starts with her sitting in a car as if she's gotten there and perhaps dozed off. Uh, it, it For me, it created a little sense of disorientation at some points in terms of how much time has passed or does she know where she is all the time? Uh, give me a sense of sort of living in her shoes uh, a little bit there of as we move from story point to story point. Yeah, I thought it meant exactly in the sort of the ways that you're talking about. I thought it was meant to be somewhat of a mechanical vehicle for the flashback because so much mm -hmm. of the story is told in flashback. I think it's yes. meant to give us the disorientation that you're talking about so that we can't necessarily place her in time, but we understand that she's reviewing the dramatic 
crises within her life. Yes. And so we get a murder at the beginning that uh, she's she's on the scene there and she alludes to the fact that she may have known who has, you know, who has done this. Um, it's clear that she's on sort of the in opposition to a lot of the other police force, you know, the way that she's treated by the other detectives and everything. It's clear she's sort of gone rogue. She's, you know, playing by her own rules. And then we start to get flashbacks. And it, what I really appreciated about the structure is in her current investigation, she will encounter people from her past. And then we get flashbacks that show us either when she's first meeting these people or a key key moment with that person in the past that reveals a little bit more about the the gang that she's embedded in or key points in the story of that case from her past. Did they ever do that? Did they ever uh, talk of someone and then flash back to them to introduce us? I don't remember that sort of synchronicity in the flashbacks. I felt like they were more random than that. Or at, or at least more artful in the way, and artful is the wrong word for that. Maybe I should say at least more disguised in the way that they were trying to tell the story. It, I felt like it was held back from us as opposed to spoon feeding yeah, us on it. It's, uh, well, it, I think maybe they embed it a little bit. It, so the the first one is, you know, she she uh, gets mailed the the money that's, you know, stained by the dye packs and then she goes and finds uh you know the guy at the fbi or whatever that was had first sort of set her up with chris to go undercover and then he mentions that oh one of the guys has been released from prison because of due to health concerns and so as she's driving there we then get a scene where they're she and Chris are sort of meeting with they with introduce him. us to that guy. You're right. I yes, that exactly. And then the the next, you know, as we move along in the story, um, we get the next character who you know is t- she's told is uh, he's working doing legal advice for people. And as she's waiting to to meet him, we get the flashback to that really intense scene of the uh, Russian, Russian roulette. roulette. Yeah. So Oof. there is there's a little bit of layering of the of those pieces, so that we sort of parallel that progression in her current investigation with the story of Aaron and Chris being embedded with this gang and their time with them as they get to meet and know the members of that gang leading up to that heist back in her past. Right. I think maybe it's perhaps my second viewing where I noted it a little bit more because I was looking at the mechanics of things, but I do appreciate that it, it didn't seem too, too obvious to you that we were getting sort of parallel introductions. Yeah. To characters there. I want to talk a little bit about the flashback structure and how, how well that works in terms of, of storytelling, because we've got two stories to keep track of. And if we separate those and look at Aaron's current investigation on its own, and then just the story of Aaron and Chris embedded in the gang, do those two stories, and this, I guess, is getting into how well the film works in telling the story, or are these compelling stories, and perhaps why it didn't resonate with audiences uh do are those stories too cliche did you think they worked were they were they fresh in terms of within in the genre how did you feel about those two stories it's a really good question i i think for me this this genre in in general isn't necessarily my favorite it's it's Mm -hmm. tough for me to do so my perspective about it like i think of a movie of a cop drama that we've watched that i really liked which was felony 
And I feel like that kind of turned the traditional or the conventional cop drama idea on its head and really pointed at other issues about sort of what human nature is. I don't really get that from this story. So I think mm-hmm. that to to get into that, you know, you you, you asked whether it, it was cliche. I don't know if I would say it was cliche, but it really felt like that gritty comp drama to me. You have to buy in that Nicole Kidman, that, that uh, Aaron Bell is this broken person and then she's also really strong in her survival skills. I mean, that's kind of in her ability to survive, whatever she's going through in her life. And you have to be along for the ride that you kind of like that anti-hero. Those are some things that are, uh, you know, the criminal as hero. She's both a cop and a criminal throughout this. And you've, you've got to really like to play on those edges. I don't particularly, you know, truck in those kind of genres when I'm choosing for myself. So I found that it wasn't super resonant with me. Now, if that means that it's cliche, that could be. But for me, from this sort of objective perspective, my thought was that if you like gritty cop dramas, if you like this sort of thing, if you maybe liked what, what's a show? It was it The Shield that was like this? Or what was the okay. one before that with, uh, was it NYPD Blue? You know, going way back to the the things that brought really cop grit to, to, to the small screen. If you like those kind of things, you might actually like this. This is a little bit more raw and it kind of goes down that angle. But for me, it just didn't didn't hit. Yeah, I you know, the, the character for me as well, the character pieces didn't work really well. It, it helped move us to the point in the story where I got really engaged, which was I followed Aaron, you know, in our in our current timeline as she's working her way sort of down the chain to try to get to Silas, you know, the, the, the leader of the gang who's, you know, apparently, you know, resurfaced and she's got a vendetta against him. And so she's, she's tracking players. She gets to Petra who, you know, the, there's the money drop from, you know, Bradley Whitford, the attorney to Petra. Petra's going to lead Aaron to Silas. So she's following Petra thinking, okay, there's going to be a drop or she's going to somehow get to Silas. And then to me, it takes a really unexpected twist when Aaron's following them and happens to stumble onto the fact that they're about to, they're, they're going into rob a bank. Yeah. And to me, that's when the energy really hit is as soon as she sees them, you know, load up masks on head into the bank and she goes to the back of her car, you know, calls it in, gets her weapon out and goes in there and you've got just two like, you know, street cops show up like, aren't we going to wait for backup before we go? In? We're going in. And, and she then just... her line is, this is a firefight. I just, <laughs> so he, the thing is, she just wants to kill Silas. Like that's, yes. that's my yes, brain it about is. it. And, oh yeah. No. And, and so when you say the energy kicks up, I mean, that was a really tough scene for me because I'm just thinking, you know, all she wants is, this is a story about vengeance. This is a story about revenge. Um, And it was really tough for me because it just didn't seem like it was rational. And uh, of course, that's kind of, I'm looking for somewhat of a rational story in here if it's not some sort of mind bender. And so that was tough for me. The energy there was was wild and out of control for me. That's what hit me on it. But did you like that? Is that where you kind of picked up steam, you said? Yeah, that's where I thought this is, this is what I'm expecting. And those are the types of things I like where we get that. I mean, the character piece all trying to, you know, I'm introduced to the gang members, but to me, it's really about the dynamic of Aaron and her quest for vengeance. And so we've got the, we've got the firefight in the bank. We've got her actually capturing Petra, uh, which I think was a a very interesting insight into Aaron of I'm going to, I'm going to chase her. I'm going to hunt her down. I'm going to throw in the back of my trunk I'm going to lie to other officers. Oh, yeah. no, she she got away from me. She went that way, basically kidnapping Petra. 
tells me how committed she is to getting Silas. I mean, we've got right. a sense that, you know, she's gone rogue, but this is the point where it's revealed nothing is going to stop her from getting Silas. That's, you know, we, we see throughout that her partner is calling her, wanting to know what's going on, where she is. Because of the timeline, I had questions as to whether, you know, her partner was still what alive. A, were these flashbacks? Were these memories? Yeah. Her, her partner. <laughs> yes. How did you pair those truly, two up? I, it, truly an odd couple. Yes. I did, You've got, you know. <laughs> yeah. This like young, fresh faced. <laughs> Yes, cop mixed with old zombie Nicole Kidman. I'm like, Mm -hmm. who was the supervisor that said, yeah, you guys will work out? (laughs) Like, I just don't get it. Anyway. Well, and I don't know if that's the case of the we've got to give her somebody stable that's going to ground her and keep keep her in line. Uh, Clearly, nobody's going to be able to to accomplish that. So right. uh, Because because she is really off the rails at this point. And then. Back in our flashback, we see we've got the gang building up to a point where Aaron overhears that they're they're going to go rob a bank. And it's, you know, Petra's dad has, you know, had him, she overheard some information. And there's going to be all this money there. And that's where Chris and Aaron have a, a really interesting conversation about how they're going to handle the situation. And to me, that's the real pivot in the story because they're, they're embedded here to prevent, you know, this gang that's on the verge of, you know, violent crime. And now they overhear that, hey, they're going to rob a bank. And Aaron sits down with Chris and asks him to to commit to something that it's clear he's not comfortable with. It's a bad idea. I'm tired, Chris. Spent my whole fucking life scrapping. Jealous, hungry, scared. I just want to spend one fucking day on the other side of that. I know. That's me too. But this isn't the way. turns because they're told in flashback there's two turns with the chris the sebastian stan character that are really tough to buy into unless you are totally jumped unless you're totally with the story which is where they kind of fall in love as they're embedded because we went through a whole scene earlier where they were practicing their lines to make sure that they seemed like they were in love even though they were not and then all of a sudden because everything happened off screen because it's in flashback now all of a sudden they're in love so we can take that right but then this piece too where they're deciding how they want to get out because they're done with their deal he being of the fbi and she being of some sort of local service uh or maybe she was fbi too at that point i'm not even sure but the point is 
Um, now, part of what their pact is is criminal. I mean, they're talking about taking some of the money with them too. Um, and so you get, that's where it kind of becomes confusing because he's not okay with it, but he's also, they're agreeing to this. It just seems really, it, all this stuff happens off screen that brings us to this point with them. So it's really tough for us to understand or uh, tough for me as a viewer to buy into the changes that are happening with these characters, especially when all we're seeing in the non-flashback realm is Nicole being a, a zombie badass. So uh, it's tough to really understand the the arc of the character because of the, the way that they decided to tell the story. Yeah, I agree. We we don't have enough time with that relationship because all we get is what's in a flashback and we're only getting enough information there to to reveal, you know, here's what here's who the gang members are. Here's this heist they're going to go on. We don't have enough time to really develop that relationship between Chris and Aaron to go from just, yeah, partners to falling in love to to willing to trust each other to say, we're going to lie to our superiors on this. We're going to get our story straight on what we're going to tell everybody so that basically they can get they can get out with the money. And they even talk about the fact of, you know, we're going to get out. We're going to wait till this cools down. They've got a whole long-term plan for this. It's one of the pieces that I struggle with. This movie. I still really enjoy it, but it's it's those pieces where I'm having to fill in a little bit more than I want to as an audience member. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we do get the scene where she goes to the drugstore and we realize that, you know, Aaron's pregnant, uh, you know, so that to me, that could be the other reason for her, eagerness to get out of everything of yeah. I'm going to have a kid. I can't be, I can't be embedded here undercover. I don't know that I want to, you know, be in law enforcement anymore. You know, if, if she and Chris can get out, have a family. Yeah. I get that. I just don't get why they have to steal the money. Why did they take that turn too? Because now they're going to, not going to have jobs. They can never be in law enforcement yeah. again. That's the thing that <laughs> yeah. we didn't see them turn to that aspect of it. Well, at the beginning, she says she's, she's tired of sort of scrapping to get by. Oh, she does. On things. You're right. You know, so she's, a, she's, a, you know, a little worn out of like, you know, I've been putting in my time and I, you know, feel like you know she's owed something yeah um yep that's right so that's what she so says we, you know that's you know then we get that heist and that's where we get the reveal of where things go wrong with that and there's a couple i i appreciated how things were built up we early on with the russian roulette scene we see that silas is he he messes with people's minds. He's I don't want to say sinister, but he's slightly askew. He's one of these just, you know, he reminded me of Chris Hemsworth in Bad Times at the El Royale. Kind of this I haven't, cult I haven't seen that yet. OK. Oh, you haven't? Yeah. Oh, no, I haven't man. seen That's, that yet. It's a funny, yeah. weird one, too. But so we get to the point where they're they're robbing the bank and Silas tells the bank teller no die packs. And then as soon as he wa he's got the bags, as soon as he walks out and the die pack goes off and he's just coated in that purple. He, you know, he drops those bags, you know, it's not going to end well. Uh, right. We've been set up for that. Um, but then to see how Chris, it, I don't, I guess it's the redemption of his character. I mean, he was going along with Aaron's plan. And I, this is sort of his save the cat moment of, they also, you know, said, if things start to go wrong, plan is off, you know, we call it in. Call that's it in said. and yeah. all that. And that's what he does. And unfortunately, Chris is not a good shot or Silas is a better <laughs> shot. Well, yeah. yeah you're and, right. and, yeah, and I think me. that but, yeah. that's uh, yeah, it's it's fast. And I think the the 
the true tragedy is that, you know, I think it's not only the loss of Chris, but Aaron coming back to they were in that position because of their plan. And she's the one that instigated that. So I get the sense. That's where I start to get the I understand the guilt that's driving this this vengeance to to get Silas. Uh, so that all comes to a head right sort of at the the peak of our film here of we get we get the big reveal of everything that's been driving her up to this point and what's going to push her to continue to per- pursue Silas. In between all of these things, we've got this subplot with her daughter Shelby. Yeah. Who is a, it's another attempt I think to develop character of what kind of what kind of mom uh is as you say, zombie Nicole Kidman, who's got a, a teenage <laughs> daughter, who we now know is is Chris's. You know, that's her child from Chris. Uh, so, you know, how how is this kid going to turn out? Uh, apparently, not very very good because she's you know dating an older guy, hanging out in bars with bar owners that apparently don't care if underage kids are in their bar, and uh, gets in in fights over you know just. A, Typical trouble troublemaker teen, um, but we have late in the film here sort of this reconciliation scene between the two of them, the the sort of heart to heart conversation. Um, I think Aaron knows, uh, you know, she's getting close to Silas, doesn't know how well that's how that's going to end, and so this is her last opportunity to have this heart to heart as as mother daughter. How did you feel about that scene? I I like that she released her daughter, and I like that her daughter told the story of the the snow scene uh, and things. Um, I think when I say she released her, when she's saying, you know, you're not the bad one, I'm the bad one. Um, yeah. I really feel like that was, I was emotionally connected to the point that I think that that was something that Shelby needed to hear. So I like that. Um, but in general, I, I just wasn't connected to their story. Their story felt really satellite to everything else that was going on, even though I feel like it was meant to be um, an indicator, uh, some sort of indicative statement about how Aaron doesn't give up her perseverance, her relentlessness. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't as emotionally connected as I would have liked to be for that scene. How about you? Yeah, it, it's exactly where I am. I, I know how I should be feeling with that. And I, I always come back to, did I need more time with these characters or were the scenes not leveraged to the best of their ability early on? Is it a matter of how things are edited together, the, the choice to tell things? We've got Aaron's flashback and then we're we're weaving together Shelby and her boyfriend and that whole piece. And we, because we're we're moving back and forth through each of these, we don't get that flow of emotional build from one scene to the other because there's so many other things that are happening in between because we've got you know the first scene with Shelby in in the bar with the guy then we they've got the first sit down talk that tries to happen and the boyfriend takes Shelby away Shelby in the hospital after getting in the fight um and then we've got Aaron trying to basically uh bribe the boyfriend to to leave to leave, to head back to Spokane, Spokane. Or, or what? Spokane, exactly. Yep. With with the with the money from the heist, right? Uh, which she had hoped was going to be a lot more. I think to to allow her, she did. her husband and Shelby to to get out of there. But you know, again, it's it's been soiled by the dye pack, which she yep. did not know. Uh, so her plan B is bribe the boyfriend to get out of there. So yeah, it 
to me, it serves its function in the story. It just lacks some of the emotional power I was hoping for in that. But it does give us th- that moment. It's sort of one of those those writer moments of, I'm going to give a character a really interesting story to tell about Aaron being the worst mother ever and taking her daughter camping and not being remotely prepared at all right. to, to go on this expedition. Well, and I, they allude to the fact that she might have been high or drunk. Oh, you know, yeah. And the thing yes, to, to exactly. leave it there or that she was having trouble, whatever. But I think that story, and then when they bring it back to us at the end, yes. as this is sort of her personal denouement of her yeah. life, I think it's meant to show the concept of that everyone is the protagonist in their own story. So as she was hearing how terrible that was, mm-hmm. as Shelby gives her the story from Shelby's point of view of how terrible it was and the sort of objective youth of saying why why are we here we shouldn't be here um you see on aaron's face in the final in her final moments this thing of pride that she is the protector and that she is walking through any storm to get to where she needs to go because that's actually the story uh, that's that's the story of the film really is that she would be willing to do anything to get uh, her chosen goal Um, And so I think that was the thing of giving it to us, saying that her last moments were spent looking at pride, the pride of her relentlessness to achieve what she's looking to achieve. I couldn't say it better myself. Cool. Yeah. So why is it called Destroyer? I don't know why it's called Destroyer. What a weird title. (laughs) What the heck? She's not. I mean, just because she's a train wreck? Just because she's uh, a hot mess? like Because, yeah, because it's not, I mean, she's not leaving like a path of destruction. I mean, she she causes problems along the way, but it's not, with a title like You Destroy, you think this is the case of she's going to go back and take out every single gang member, you know, yes. something like that, where she's like, I'm out here to get every single one of them because they've got dirt on me. And it's not, it's right. about, it's about the one, Silas. Is it about... Silas being the destroyer of her relationship. I, I don't Maybe know. Maybe it's a metaphor that destroyers yeah. are like, that there's have a singular focus. Oh, goodness. I don't know. It, yeah. it feels like a, a big miss in the title because, yeah. and I, I don't know what I would name it differently. I would need time to think yeah. about that, but it, yeah. it, it it's not that. That's not what the story no. is to me. Uh, you know, no. there's something else here. If she's a mother, if she's a lover, you know, of Chris in this backstory, if she's a spirit of vengeance, if it's all the, I mean, that's maybe the closest one. Why yeah. do you call it destroyer? But gosh, no, just, yeah, that yeah. was a mess too. Well, aside from, you know, we've sort of covered the whole story and now you, 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 you usually will have an eye for some unique sort of cinematic moments and you alluded to those early on. So I was wondering if there were some, anything there, particular that really stood out to you as, as working well in this film visually, because we do have a, a, a lot of interesting things I that I I noticed, and typically I'm not paying attention to a lot a lot of these things because I'm focusing on story themes and and things of that nature. There is great and creative camera work throughout this film. Um, there's lots of really interesting shots. Uh, they take a lot of time to express things visually in a very clever way. There's great motion control, some really interesting tracking shots that they take through the film. Um, and I would love to come back and like relate what, what was my favorite shot in the film, but it gets overshadowed by the last shot in the movie that I don't get bothers the heck out of me. And I don't know why it's there because she's, you know, we see this, we go back to her time and time again, sort of waking up or, or feeling mm-hmm. out or, or fading into the light underneath this bridge. And mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's 
sick, which we don't, we never get told while she's sick. Where I'm, I, I'm kind of fine with that. That's okay. You know, she's about to perish. And the last shot is of these kids that are playing, that are skateboarding you know, underneath this bridge with her, and they're just doing tricks and all this stuff. And the la- and they, and they sort of move off her. They imply her death. They move off of her, and then they go to these kids that are doing tricks with skateboards and the guy pulls this jump. It's like an Ollie. It's a jump. And then he's slamming the deck down on the ground. And that's mm-hmm. the final shot of the film. And I just, I get, it feels like I, you know, I, I give credit to all of the creativity and the, the different sort of camera that they were putting in here. But what the heck is that? There was no, there was no symbolism oh, okay. of skateboarding throughout the film. There was no, it was a weird sort of aside every time they went back to her in the car that the skateboarders were around. I mean, if you, I would really like to hear if you have a creative take on this because I was just distracted and confused. And again, it's one of those where we had all this great art, all this great visual yeah. art through the film. And then they end with this sort of punctuation on a poem that I couldn't reconcile. I, so I've I've seen it twice. Oh, you have. Okay, I, good, good, I, good. So, so I watched it once and then said we need to talk about this one because I I wanted to get good. your take on on this. I think there was you know interesting story to to look into. Yeah. So because because at the opening, so that's where we open is with Aaron sort of parked on the underpass and she's sitting in the car and we see the kids with the skateboards. And if you listen, it's the it's the clattering of the skateboard in the background. The whole time because he can't land the trick. He keeps trying to do this, you know, okay. kick flip Ollie thing and he can't land it. He can't land it. He can't land it. And yeah. that's the final shot is he finally lands the trick. But it, oh, so is it's that it's, clear? It's, 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 Did it's you failure. get that the first time you watched the movie? No, I okay. didn't. I didn't get it the so, first time. Because now, as far it's as, like in yeah. the periphery. That that's, right. that's amazing if that's what it is because that's. That is okay. So it symbolizes her struggle and it symbolizes her completing her struggle. But goodness, like that seems like such a stretch when there's nothing else pointing at that. Well, and because there's so much and here's where we get to spoiler alerts. So our opening shot, our opening shot is Aaron, you know, she's. She's, uh, you know, she goes out to the, you know, she's called out to the scene of the crime or whatever. But there's the dead body. We see the three you know, tattoos on the back of the neck. And she says, yeah, I might know who, di- who did this. She goes back to her car. She's in the car. The kids are doing the skateboard tricks and then cut to title destroyer. And then it's like Aaron, you know, whatever, walking into her uh, office there at the police station and all of that. So editing tricks us into thinking this Sequential. scene comes it's right. sequential when it's not so that we then get to and see what we thought was the beginning of the film. Now that I love that first sequence is actually the end. Right. It's it's really interesting. I didn't note it until the second time because the body that she sees, you know, is shaved head, three dots in the back of the neck. And every time we see Silas Chris undercover, that. well, Silas has long oh, hair, but the shots we have Chris. of Chris undercover sure. is shaved head, you know, and he we see he's getting the tattoo. So it's it's playing with our expectations a little bit but yeah and i love that we, i thought that yeah, whole red herring part mm-hmm. of the story i thought was oh, great it, no it worked because yeah when we get to the end and then she's in the car i'm like oh this this is not we're we started with the end and at the beginning of this as far as what's ailing aaron um when she's tracking down petra and chases her into the restaurant bakery whatever yeah. and they have their fight 
Petra lays into her a couple of really yeah. solid kicks to the ribs. Boots. And if yeah. you boots, and so that when Aaron's sitting in the car, you can see she pulls up her shirt and her whole belly, abdomen, side is just purple, bruised, <sighs> like internal bleeding. Yeah. Which the coloring matches very closely to the purple dye in the packs, which was to me was one of those yeah. nice creative echoes of, you know, the the corruption of that crime being the thing that's sort of eating at her from inside. And I'm getting and it corrupted her too. Her that's too. Cool. Yes, exactly. Like so that's that's what takes her out at the end is that fight with Petra, you know, because we know but it's Aaron really is the not, corruption, Steve. It's yes, really the it is. I see I love so, that. I think that's great. So that's where I take that whole end piece with that. And that's the part cool. I think that, that brought me the most joy on the first viewing is to see how the story is architected in such a way to to trick us at the beginning. And then it works really well that we see everything come together. We've got the flashbacks. We've got our current story woven together and it all comes to this head. And to me, those pieces all work sort of engineering wise it's yep. just missing a little bit of the heart you yep. know it, it intellectually i i appreciate everything that's going on it just didn't get me in the gut in the heart the way that i had really hoped and that's you know the same thing with nicole kidman's performance i enjoyed it it's nothing where i thought oh my gosh this is the greatest performance i've ever seen it is a, it is a very different type of character for her Yes. Sometimes I think it's hard to act through the makeup or that becomes a distraction. And it did for it's, me. Yeah. And it's the the lack of, you know, the sequence of time to to build those relationships. There are so many things that should work better than than it did, and it just fell short. But I still really enjoy the experience of of following this story yep. with her. And it Perhaps it's because Andy and I had just watched uh, maybe about a month ago. Uh, Andy had never seen To Live and Die in L.A. Another story of, um, you know, anti-hero cop, you know, sort of going outside the box to do things and with a with yeah. a tragic ending there. That this sort of echoed that and To Live and Die in L.A. You know, a much more I don't want to, even want to say enjoyable film, but it, it works a little bit better. But to me, it was I appreciated a new take on that with a female character. Yep. Yeah. I get that. I just, she was so frail and it was oh, so intense yeah. that I just could not, could not break out of my negativity that it brought to me. Again, if you like drama, this yes. drama and crime thrillers, this might be the movie for you. So that, yeah, exactly. If, if you, if you like your, your gritty cop dramas like to live and die in LA, this is going to be your type of film. If you're not, for that darker side of the crime dramas. Let it go. You, you let, let it go. You're not going to be missing out on, uh, you know, a, a great classic that you're going to regret not seeing. I, I think people that are interested in the genre, I think you're going to take a, a nice journey. You're going to enjoy the story. I think it, it treads on familiar ground to a certain extent, but does a, a few fresh things. Uh, but yeah, that's it's it's not going to be for everyone. And if yeah, if you want a happy ending, this is not the film for you. 
So where did it fall on your flick chart? I'm thinking you're in the bottom half of your flick chart. It is. You? It's pretty low. Uh, but it was interesting because it came up against some movies that actually put it higher than I would have expected. So it's at 152, and that's out of a total of 209. So it's kind of in that bottom quarter. Um, the interesting okay. thing is that it's between, it's between Alien Covenant, below Alien Covenant, and above Pokemon Detective Pikachu. But that's not particularly <laughs> interesting. It's two below the Congress, which is something we did here on Trailer Rewind, because I think the Congress is... <laughs> is a little bit more creative. And then okay. it's three above at 155, triple nine, which is where I think you really fall into the thing of that sort of gritty crime drummer. I think Destroyer yes. is better than triple nine. You probably don't. Yes. But, um, oh, oh yeah. you do. You do. Okay, good. Well, oh, yeah. I, you like triple nine more than me. But, I, I did, but yeah. not, yeah. No, so this, I, it's as, down as there. I alluded, yeah. As I alluded to earlier, it's next to Black Klansman, which I really, really enjoyed. So it's interesting that you mentioned the Congress because okay. uh, so Destroyer comes in at number 40 out of 438. So it's it's okay. up there in my top 10 percent. Oh, wow. Uh, so so okay. so it's right. It's right below Black Klansman, right above Hostiles. Yeah, which is also right above the Congress at forty-two. So okay. I put Destroyer two spots above the Congress. Yeah, so it's it's right there in my my top ten percent. So I yeah, I so that's I was able to overcome the the dark dreary depression of this film to enjoy and appreciate. Uh, I think a, a a gritty cop drama. And for yes, and for all and, intents and purposes, most people can overcome that better than I can. So that's yes, fair. I, I I think so. So for me, it comes in at a solid four stars. Okay, for me, wow, four. Yeah, that's great. I I really really enjoy it. Like I said, it it lacks a little bit of the heart, but I don't need a lot of that to to enjoy sort of a a police. Uh, procedural type of, you know, interrogate the guys, move, work your way up the food chain to, to the final confrontation. And I really enjoyed both the bank heist sequences. I thought they'd, cool. uh, they're, they're two very different. One is, you know, frenetic action shootout. The other, we've got a little bit more of uh, we've got a little, we've got a lot of slow motion going on there, drawing yeah. things out, slowing the time. And then uh, the, the aftermath as the, the decisions that Aaron makes, uh, there worked really well for me, so that's why I've, I've got it at cool. four stars. I put so it down at two and a half. It's one again one of those movies that I thought was was good, and I understand why why it was good. But the point for me is it's not a movie for me, so I didn't want to pull it underneath halfway. But um, but it's just not a movie that I'm going to want to see again. JJ, you know, as we say here on the next reel, after the movie ends, the conversation begins. I've enjoyed our our nice little discussion of Destroyer, Destroyer. whatever that title means. So, and I want to thank our listeners out there. Again, you can find us out there. Give us a, rank, a rating on iTunes. It helps people find us. Or you can also support us out there on Patreon and become a supporter. Gets you access to Discord where there's always great conversations going on. Again, check out the sat mats where we are. Everything comes to a on a set mat. That's where the trailer picks get made for Trailer Rewind. It's where we make our list based off the shows that Pete and Andy are discussing on the main show and all kinds of conversations about what's going on in the world of movie news over there on the set mats every Saturday available for our Patreon supporters on Patreon. Well, JJ, there's one last word for me, but I need a few more words for you. Yeah. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. 
Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. 